0: Mercy view and tonight we will be in Romans 11. We'll be in verses 11 through 22 So I ask did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means Rather through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous now if their trespass means riches for the world the dead if the dough offered as first as first fruits is holy so is the whole lump and if the root is holy so are the branches but if some of the branches were broken off and you although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree do not be arrogant toward the branches Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, a couple of summers ago, our uh, big gray van, we called it the big gray whale, died like it was just coast, and we had to figure out a new, you know thing to move people around in. And uh, if you know our family, there's a few of those people around. And so we needed something that could seat a few folks. And so after a lot of research and thinking, we decided to roll with a Ford Transit. And um, you've probably seen us in that um, often. And uh, the very first thing I think we did was we took a trip with the transit to Colorado And the thing that I remember from the very beginning was I began to deal with something that I had never dealt with before. The the vehicles, I guess, we had were just old. But um, we began to have to pay attention to the camera, right? There's a a backup camera that that, uh, was a part of the the transit. And um, actually, there was an Australian man um, at the condos we were staying at in Colorado who nicknamed our transit and um, it very much sums up why the cameras are so important, but we were having trouble getting and out of a parking lot. And he said, are you having trouble with the long bus? And um, the long bus, it is, it's very long. And you've got to really think about where you're at, where you're, you know, pulling in and out of. And so I got very used to that though. Over time, you just get used to using the camera and, and paying attention. Well, one of the things, I don't know if this was some sort of glitch with this particular transit, but we kept having issues with those cameras falling out of the spots they were supposed to be in, into the bumper and the camera then wouldn't work. And um, I'm just not very handy with any of that kind of stuff. Also, um, maybe a little lazy, but um, we would not get that necessarily fixed right away. So you're backing out of places in this long bus And and without a camera, it's it's just a recipe for disaster. But I noticed something interesting about what began to happen inside of me. Initially, without the camera, I was doing everything that I could possibly do to make sure that I wasn't going to run into something. But over time, I began to progress to um, not caring as much about that, not looking into the mirrors as much. And then that really progressed into almost being completely indifferent to the fact that we didn't have a camera and not even looking in the mirrors at all which is really not smart. Thankfully, to this day, we haven't had an issue with that. But just recently in the past year, we've had that happen again. And there was a long stretch without the cameras. And we finally got it fixed just a few weeks ago. But I was thinking about that um, this week as I was preparing for this week's sermon because I actually think the way that I treated the cameras in the transit is the same thing that you and I tend to do with God's grace. And here's what I mean. For those of you that become Christians, um, have become Christians, you know initially, man, you are so pumped, so excited about the way the Lord has met you with his mercy, um, traded his his righteousness for your sin. It's beautiful, and you're on fire for the Lord, and you're so grateful for the grace and mercy of God in your life. But as you begin to move forward in your Christian life, you began to um, become a little uh, immune to that initial experience, right? You begin to take grace for granted, and unfortunately, sometimes what happens in our Christian walk is that we begin to actually not only neglect grace, but we begin to forget the fact that God has been so merciful to us to save us. And we we don't just like neglect it; we just don't even remember it. I think that is true for our spiritual lives and and the grace that you and I have received. And In tonight's passage, Paul is wanting to remind us to not do that. And he does it in a very, very interesting way. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we have been continuing our series in the book of Romans and we're actually today and then next week will be the last sermon in this sort of first half of the book of Romans and we'll conclude and then we'll enter into a new series. But we are walking through what really is Paul's theological treatise. This is like his dissertation. This is the loftiest, like most uh, majestic theological thinking that Paul can put down on paper to help us understand who God is how he saves who who we are and, and like today, how you and I tend to neglect the amazing and astounding grace that God extends to us. And Romans 11 in particular that we started last week is a monster. I mean, it is so challenging because primarily what Paul is doing in Romans 11 is he is talking to us about the way in which God is dealing with the nation of Israel, like ethnic Israel. And the reason why I think that's challenging for us is because of our faith tradition. Here's what I mean. You and I are essentially children or grandchildren, great-grandchildren of something called the Protestant Reformation. In the 1500s, there was a group of, of people who said, um, we need to think differently about the Bible. We need to think differently about the gospel. And they began to say, began to protest the ways in which those things were taught and really created a new stream. Actually, they would say it wasn't really a new stream. They were recovering an old stream of, of what it should look like for us to be faithful to what the Bible teaches about salvation. And so there was this, this, uh, this new movement it's called the Protestant Reformation. You and I are in the line of that, that, uh, that uh, people. So when Paul in Romans 11 is talking about another faith tradition, the Jewish people, I think it, it can cause for us a real disconnect. Last week we tried to talk about like, yes, we should be praying for the Jewish people. God is indicating in Romans 11 that he is still at work saving a remnant of Jewish people. So, so like that's a way that you and I, even as Protestant evangelicals can pray, pray to that end. But I still think it's, it's difficult for us to wrap our heads around like why Paul continues to come back to this theme over and over and how this applies to our lives. That's a fair question. It's an intellectually honest question. And tonight, we're going to get another part of this that I think is going to help us understand why Paul is doing that. And as we do that, I really just want you to see one big thing tonight, and this is it. The kindness of God should produce more faith, not less. The kindness of God should produce more faith, not less. Now, here is what Paul at a very high level, is trying to do in Romans 11. He is trying to answer the objection of, of, of what would be a very natural objection for people to ask. As they think about the nation of Israel, they've rejected Jesus as Messiah. And this is the question, has, has God failed in some way here? In other words, if God has made a covenant promise with the Jewish people that he is going to save them, and those same people have rejected Jesus as Messiah, and they aren't saved, hasn't God failed? And that's a very, very good question, because on the surface, it kind of looks like he has. Now, last week, we we, we talked about how that's not true. Actually, we've talked about that in the previous weeks, too. Paul's point in Romans 11, Romans 10, even Romans 9, is to say God has not failed. Now, this is why Roman 11 matters to us. It's the same way that he answered this question in Romans nine and 10. If God can't save people, especially his covenant people, what's the point of his salvation? Or maybe we could ask it this way. If salvation depends entirely on the faithfulness of God, on his word, and his own people have said no to that salvation, how can we really trust anything that God has to say at all? That's a big question, actually. It has eternity uh, in its scope. Like the the idea of, of what it looks like for us to live with, with, with God forever in eternity hangs in the balance on how you answer that question. It actually is of the utmost importance. So that's why Roman 11 matters. Now, As we ease into our passage tonight, I want you to remember something, though. For Paul, the apostle Paul, the world for him was divided into two types of people, Israel, like ethnic Israel, and everybody else. Now, the way that he describes the everybody else is to say the Gentiles. In other places in the New Testament, sometimes it's described as the Greeks, but Paul in Romans uses that terminology of Gentiles. Again, and though Paul is primarily looking at how God is dealing with ethnic Israel here in Romans 11, Paul is also showing us something else that is astounding about the other group. And we've talked, I think two weeks ago, we talked about the the wideness of God's mercy in including the Gentile people into his saving work. And that is actually tonight, what I want us to look at, again, Paul is talking about it again. And so there's a reason why Paul wants us to come face-to-face with the way in which he is also saving people outside of his covenant promise. So if you have your Bibles, hard copies, or maybe your electronic devices, keep them open. The Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. Let's start there. Paul begins by saying that the Jewish people have stumbled. They have trespassed is another word that he uses there. So the question for us is how have they stumbled? We've seen glimpses of this in previous passages, but again, they have stumbled, their, their primary misstep is that they have rejected Jesus as Messiah. In other words, they aren't believing Jesus is God, and that he came in the flesh, to redeem and restore those who would place their faith and trust in him. And actually, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on with the Jewish people. Like, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper about this trespass or this stumble, as Paul calls it. But it, just, it says that something very interesting that actually, if you remember Pastor Tim Chaddock, when he was here with us a while back, mentioned this in talking about Pharaoh. But we also see here that the stumble or the the trespass was a result of the Lord's hardening. So here Paul talks about the way in which the Jewish people are also hardened as a nation. And this is honestly one of the most challenging things to wrap our heads around in the Bible. I thought Tim did a masterful job when he preached on this um, a few weeks ago. And I promise that we are going to attempt to tackle this idea head on next week as we talk more about God's dealing with the, uh, with the uh, Israelites. But what we see here in verses 11 and 12 is that there was a sovereign reason for this. And this is what I want us to begin to focus in on. It says that this hardening caused a stumbling or a transgression, and it happened so that through their trespass, the Jewish people, salvation has come to who? The Gentiles, and then this is very provocative, so as to make Israel jealous. Here we see that God had a couple purposes in sending Jesus to the world. First, by the Jewish people's transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Paul says, in God's wisdom, in his mysterious ways, He is using the unbelief of Israel to result in the redemption of Gentiles all around the world. God has a gracious purpose even in the sin and unbelief of Israel, somehow. But Paul continues and he says, there is another reason that Jesus has come into the world. It also says that this salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, let's be honest here. That is a very edgy word, right? Like, that is very provocative. And I'll explain what he means by that here in just a moment. But Paul's point is this. In God's providence, the conversion of the Gentiles has a view to the evangelism of the Jews, and verse 12 actually says that it will one day result in the riches of the gospel coming to the Jewish people. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But the the, the Apostle Paul is saying this, you haven't seen anything yet. God's grace is going to eclipse in the future even the glories and riches of the past. Again, a little preview for next week. But then Paul makes a shift and then he, he begins to really speak directly to the Gentiles. And if you're a Christian here today, you are most likely in that line, all right? So Paul's talking to you, talking to us. And here's what he says first. Look there in verse 13. In saying that he hopes that his ministry may be magnified, he is saying that he hopes for an even wider reach of the gospel in the ministry that God would give him. Paul hopes for the expansion of his ministry. And then he tells us why. He says in verse 14, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews, and here he says it again, jealous and thus save some of them. Now here's what Paul means by this. He is saying that when he tries to move Gentiles to trust in God, he's not doing that to the exclusion of the salvation of his own countrymen. See, Paul is saying, in a sense, you and I ought to have a longing for the salvation of the Jewish people as well. And he uses this shocking word, uses it twice, of jealousy to say that that we ought to have a desire, a prayer, that ethnic Israel will see the blessings of Abraham that are coming to the Gentiles. And when Israel sees those blessings, they will say, God promised those blessings to us and we ought to be enjoying those blessings ourselves. Paul is not saying that we are to provoke them in some sort of crass way. Envy is never an instrument of grace, but faith is. And he is saying this, our experience of the grace of God should be on display that that a, a watching Israel would want to embrace him too in the days to come. Now look with me if you would, beginning in verse 16, Paul is gonna continue to talk about how he intends to do this. How he intends to woo the Jewish people to salvation by using a couple of word pictures, a couple of illustrations. First, he uses the word picture of dough. And actually the dough metaphor comes from uh, Numbers 15. And it's it's, uh, something that actually incorporates the Old Testament offering system. And and this is what he's getting at here. When bringing an offering of bread, whenever you're bringing that as a part of your offering, part of that bread was offered as a symbol of gratitude to God. And that portion of the bread was viewed as consecrating the whole bread, the whole loaf. But I want us to particularly look at the second metaphor There beginning in verse 16, or it's towards the end of 16, I think, um, of the olive tree. Now, he doesn't use the term olive tree, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the branches and the roots of an olive tree. When Paul says that the root is holy, he is likely talking about the patriarchs that we see in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the saving promises that were given to them by God himself. It was the covenant that God gave to them. But I want you to notice that it says in verse 17 that that some of the branches of the tree have been broken off. That is, they have been separated from God because of their rejection of God. Now, Paul probably has in mind the the Jews of his day who have rejected Jesus. But again, I want, want you to notice more of why Paul says this has taken place. And again, if you're a Christian here tonight, this is what is one of the most beautiful aspects of your faith. And so just listen to what, what is tucked away here uh, in, in why Paul says this has taken place. It's tucked there in verse 17 and also in verse 19. He says that this took place so that the Gentiles, those who were outside of the covenant promises of God, could be grafted into the same blessings of that covenant promise like these Gentiles who are coming to God through faith in Jesus are like the branches of a wild olive tree being grafted into the trunk of a fully cultivated, beautiful olive tree. Like the grafting is what is astounding. For those outside of the covenant promise of God, God is expanding his covenant to include those folks and graft them in. Think of it this way. In the story of the Old Testament, God's promise was given and experienced only in the context of his covenant people, the Jewish people. This in and of itself was a mercy to them even, like to save anyone was a grace, but the the Jewish people, like they were sinful, they were a rebellious people, but God still made a promise to them, a covenant to them, and he, he says to them, I am choosing you out of my own good pleasure to be my covenant people. But also in the New Testament, we see this other group of people, the Gentiles, and they are, um, like the, the way that, that they are um, described in the Old Testament, they were described as idolaters, like they were enemies of God. They were absolutely outside of that covenant promise. So in short, they deserved judgment. But in our passage today, when Paul says that he's grafting, God is grafting into his tree of salvation those who weren't children of the promise, he's talking about us. Listen, don't miss this. God gives mercy always to those who don't deserve it so that his ministry can be expanded. Like when Paul says that his work in preaching and spreading the gospel to all who would hear it and receive it is intended to expand the kingdom, he is walking in the footsteps of what the ministry of Jesus was intended to do. He's continuing the ministry of Jesus. Listen, to extend the free gift of grace to anyone who would receive it. Like your heritage, your lineage, your background, whether you're a part of the covenant or not, does not disqualify you in any way. In fact, what Paul is saying here is what qualifies you is that you're disqualified. So when you admit that and fall at the feet of Jesus for his mercy, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness and then graft us into his tree of salvation all are welcome all can come anybody can get in on that now this is why that is a big deal I've already said it but I'm gonna say it again we're Gentiles that's you and me we were outside of God's original covenant but through the wideness of of the mercy of God, you and I can now enter into this covenant promise where God's grace redeems and forgives and saves us. See, the Gentiles, remember, were historically considered outsiders. They were objects of God's judgment. And left to their own devices, no Gentile could save themselves. So the fact that that any Gentile is saved is owed entirely to God's grace. Remember that old hymn by Frederick Faber we, we talked about a few weeks ago? Remember what he said? In that hymn, he says, But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. Paul is echoing Faber here again in this part of Romans by saying, God's love is not narrow, it is wide so wide that it now includes those that were outside of the original covenant promise. In other words, Paul is saying, don't miss that the grace of God is extravagant. Now look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 18. Paul has a warning for the Gentiles. It stands to reason that in light of this grafting, that the Gentiles might feel as if they deserved the blessing that had come their way through the mercy of God. But Paul is being a good pastor here. He knows what human beings tend to do. He knows that we can invert the gift with the giver in a heartbeat. He knows that we take for granted that before the initiating grace of God in our lives, we were without hope. But when God grafts us in, he gives us a new life. And it's due completely to him. So Paul warns the Gentiles, look there in verse 18. Paul shoots straight and says this, do not be arrogant. Actually, when I was telling the story earlier about the the backup cameras in our our transit, really that was one of the last stages of of not paying attention to the, the cameras. I was being arrogant. I believed I didn't need them to not run into stuff behind me. How foolish. But I want you to notice that Paul in this passage is saying, don't be arrogant towards someone in particular. Notice he says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. The branches, Paul is saying, um, are the Jewish people that God has, yes, removed from the tree of salvation in order that he might graft in the Gentiles. But the warning is this, do not be arrogant to think that that should somehow mean you had something to do with that. It should actually lead to something else that actually fills us up and brings life and energy and all kinds of of stuff in our, our spiritual walk. It should actually lead to more trust. It actually should lead to more fear of the Lord. That's what he says in verse 20. You stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Right? We're talking about the fear of the Lord. That's uh, when, the, when the scriptures use that kind of terminology, they're talking about um, the proper respect that you and I should have for God, not being afraid of him, but rather being in awe and respectful towards him. But I want you to look at verse 22 with me. Paul's gonna help us see what it is that protects us from this kind of arrogance. Because again, if you and I, I would imagine almost all of us, if not all of us in this room are in the line of, of the Gentiles, this warning that Paul is giving to the Gentiles is a warning he's giving to us. And Paul is gonna help us see what it is that protects us from this kind of arrogance. Look there if you would, let me read it for us again in verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. And then this is stark. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Paul is saying that there are actually two aspects of the character of God, two attributes of God that can help us resist this default of our human heart, that somehow we are deserving of God's forgiveness. And it can be seen in two words. First, the severity of God and the kindness of God. Now, we actually, when we talk about this first idea, the severity of God, that's not actually a word that we use a whole lot to describe this, but really what we're talking about is the justice of God. Some would even maybe include like the idea of the the wrath of God. This is God's seriousness towards sin. But then also we see here the, the kindness of God. And Paul is seeming to indicate that both of these characteristics of God are important for us in order to resist arrogance and pride. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, Gentiles, you deserve his severity but you have received his kindness. Don't forget that. Let that fuel more faith, not less. Let that fuel more fear of the Lord, not less. Let that fuel more thankfulness, not less. Let that fuel more uh, remembering and reminding your heart of how amazing that is, not less. In other words, Paul is saying this, don't fall into the same trap that the Jewish people did. He's saying, don't you know how Israel got cut off? They got cut off by not believing. And if somehow you believe something about your salvation that isn't true, you're actually not believing. Don't you know that that you can also get cut off by not believing? This leads me to the one big thing that I want you to see tonight. The kindness of God should produce more faith not less. The kindness of God towards the Jewish people actually resulted in no faith, not in God. It resulted in faith in their own efforts and their own work. But Paul is sounding the alarm to the Gentile people, to us, to say we can walk down that same path as well. In fact, what Paul is particularly confronting is something that author and theologian C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. And simply put it, it means to become so focused on the present that you forget the past. In this case, Paul is saying to us, don't forget that your present salvation is a product of God's past kindness. In other words, don't ever, ever get used to God's grace. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget it. Don't think somehow you made some contribution to it it's all god it's all grace it's what we said last week grace is only grace if it's all grace and here's why paul is saying this to us there is a very strong tendency in our hearts to develop what i would call an entitlement mentality when it comes to grace it happens in nearly every area of life every culture but when it comes to spiritual matters it is especially important i think it's eternally important for us to consider this very carefully. So let's talk shop for a moment. There's something that we need to listen to Paul on here tonight as he speaks the truth and love to us. And it's it's those three words, one is a contraction but Don't be arrogant. So how can we be arrogant? What are the ways in which you and I bring arrogance or pride or a, a sense of entitlement or superiority over others? when it comes to grace, when it comes to our our faith. And and Paul is saying, guys, look, this comes really easily. Don't be cocky, don't be conceited, check yourself, humble yourself, confess, and he's gonna give us a couple of ways to do that. And first he says, consider the severity of God. And I think there are a couple of groups that Paul is thinking of when he says that. The first group is what I would call the the cultural Christian. This is a real danger in a city like ours here in Tulsa. Because in Tulsa, our city in many ways still reflects what at a previous time, this would have been considered the Bible Belt, but the remnant, sort of that layer is still here. But unfortunately for many people who claim to be Christians, they think church is a great thing. They're involved somewhere, maybe even this one but they're not committed. They're not involved in any significant way. They they don't sacrificially uh, serve or or give. And maybe they only come to church when it's convenient because they feel they're busy with with other things. Honestly, if you ask those folks if they're saved, they're gonna say yes, but the fruit of their lives don't reflect Jesus as Lord. And, And I think Paul is saying to this group, don't assume your Christianity. If you do, aren't you just like the branches that God removed from Israel? Like that's, that's pretty severe, right? I think he's saying Christianity requires a real faith and devotion and commitment that produces real fruit in Christ. But I think there is a second group that Paul wants to remind of the severity of God and, and it's what I would call the arrogant Christian. Right, I mean, he straight up says, don't be arrogant. I actually think that's a group that exists um, that he's, he's, he's calling out here. This is a close cousin to the cultural Christian. Like, this is someone who claims to be a Christian, but the gospel has not resulted in a life that reflects the gospel. Actually, they are living out Romans 6. They are continuing in sin, abusing the grace of God. And Paul is saying to you, saying to those people, Are you so foolish and arrogant that you treat the things of God casually? Or with such disdain that you would somehow neglect the the grace that God has has given you? Do you think that God is going to let you get away with that? Like, are are you mistreating your children? Are you mistreating your spouse? Are you... Lying to your friends about a deep pattern of sin in your life? Are there things that you're looking at or listening to that you know you shouldn't be? Are you looking down sinfully upon others who are in a different stage of life or live in a different part of town or look differently than you? Paul is saying, What did he do with Israel, who arrogantly believed that God would overlook their disbelief? He removed them. Again, friends, that's severe. I think Paul is saying to that group, don't be so arrogant to think that somehow you're the exception to the rule. You are called also to a Christianity that requires a real faith in Christ that produces real fruit. But here's the second grid that I think Paul wants some of us to evaluate, and it's this. Yes, consider the severity of God, but for some of you tonight, consider the kindness of God. Some of you here tonight have a very tender and sensitive spirit when it comes to your faith. And that's not a bad thing. You're very aware of your sin. You're very quick to repent of your sin and confess your sin regularly to your spouse and to your D group and to your gospel community. But you find yourself feeling over and over like somehow God is disappointed in you. Some of you are walking through deep suffering right now You feel exhausted. And maybe because of that, you feel very disconnected with God, maybe even angry with God. You feel pressed in on every side. And to this group of people, and maybe this is most of us in this room, you need to hear this from Paul. Consider the kindness of God. Friends, God has settled the most important problem in your life, if you're a believer tonight your spiritual separation from God by sending Jesus to save you of your sin. What kindness. And though you may feel distant from God and though he may not necessarily be calming the storm that you find yourself in or, he, or you may feel this sort of like that God is somehow disappointed with you. Friends, consider the kindness of God. Know that he has come eternally near to you in Jesus, and He will never leave you or forsake you. So, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to know that all the beautiful things that you enjoy every day, the success maybe that you have, or the fact that you're breathing today, and it's not—it's not because of you. The reality is, is that you did not deserve that kindness. And I would imagine that somewhere in your heart, you know that. The Bible says that the goodness of God, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. We saw that in Romans 2, to point you away from yourself and toward a relationship with your creator. And I say this lovingly to you, but with conviction, hell will be populated with people who are surprised that they are there. Don't be one of those people. Put your faith and confidence in Christ. He desires to be kind to you. But if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, this passage should make you tremble. I don't think anybody can lose their salvation. That's another topic for another day, and we can talk about that over coffee if you would like. But this is a sober warning that there is a great danger in assuming that you're a believer. This passage is a really great place for self-examination. As we come to the table tonight, I pray that you will examine yourself, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Romans 11 is calling us to not be overly familiar with spiritual truths, that somehow we lose the centrality of faith and belief and trust. Friends, this text reminds us that everything we have is only because of faith in Christ. Like, that's our role. That's our responsibility. It comes to us, though, through grace. There is only one hope for our past, for our present and future, regardless of our spiritual heritage, our ancestry, our ethnicity, or our story, and it's believing in Jesus. Never let believing in Jesus become something that you take for granted, because belief in Jesus is everything, and without it, we have nothing. Let's pray together.